We are going through the book of Acts. I'm what's called an exegetical or expositional preacher. That's a $10 word that makes me feel important, but really it just means I preach directly from the Bible. Some guys are like topical and they look at the newspaper. Nobody reads newspapers anymore. You know, they look on the online Google machine and they figure out what's going on and they preach topics on that. I instead just open up a book of the Bible. And we just go straight through it. And so we're in Acts chapter six today because we've already gone through Acts chapter one through five. We are Grace City Church, Rome, and we are going through the book of Acts because that's where the early church started. Jesus came, lived, was killed, rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven, giving the keys to us to build his church here on earth until he should come back for it. So the book of Acts is really a book of beginnings. It's the beginning of the church. And so we're seeing them from just a ragtag group of 12 dudes and some change growing in this massive swelling movement. And now what we're going to see in the text in Acts chapter 6 is they have grown too big the ministry is massive and we just don't have any organization. And so this message is for me because I got a job here and you because you've got a job here. And the idea is to organize and mobilize. And so we're going to have a lot of fun in the text today. Let's go ahead and let me pray because I need it. And so do you. And we will dive into the text. Uh, King Jesus, I think it's all about you this morning. And I pray against the enemy. I pray that we would be able to just focus on you and we would focus on bringing you into our lives to be Lord over our lives. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just affect such great change in us and that you would help me preach the word powerfully and accurately as you would want it taught. So we thank you for this time. Father, in your name, amen. All right, so if you have your Bible, rock on, uh, fist pump. Start in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to be reading through to verse 7. I'm going to read it all the way through to verse 7, and then we're going to chat. So here we go. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That's the handing out of food. And the twelve... Disciples summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, Names important, especially next week. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Uh, we got a lot of fighters in the room. Laid their hands on doesn't mean they beat them up. It meant like a holy thing, like, yay for you, we're commissioning you. So uh, for you fighters in the room, I get you a different kind of laying on hands. In my head, it was a lot funnier than you seemed <laughs> to think. I'm like, oh, that's going to be pure fire. And I got crickets. <laughs> you know what? Whatever. Why don't you just go? All right. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. So what we see here 
as the church is just getting started, it has grown and there's lots of ministry opportunity and we experience immediate problem and the problem is an organization. Anybody that wants to accomplish anything worth, uh, worthy or valuable has got to have some type of organization. So we, as the church scattered, you're the church, church is in a building, we happen to be in kind of like a bar, which I think is awesome. Uh, this is the church gathered, but the moment we leave here, we're the church scattered. And we, the church, going everywhere into neighborhoods and workplaces, wherever you happen to go, your families and your friend groups, you are a missionary to those people. And so we, you never stop being the church. We're the church gone out. Now, the cool thing is, is when we gather, we're able to gain some organization so we could do vastly more together than any of us could apart. And so that's the power. We are scattered throughout the week as the church, and then we gather together to have this massive think tank led by the Holy Spirit so that we can go huddle in, all hands in the center, and we can get some economies of scale, some organization where we would have gifts uh, uh, and we were, where we would have weaknesses. Those are all filled in. So you'll have certain weaknesses, and so will you, but you have different strengths, and you put it together, and it's kind of like, hey, now we have no weaknesses because what would be my weakness is fulfilled by your strength. And so working together, we gain organization and we're able to really impact a city and beyond. That's what I want to do in Rome, Georgia, don't you? I think Rome is prime poised ready for a rolling through of the Holy Spirit to do a really great work. I think God could change this city and the cities beyond and further and further still. You know how dark the world is right now? How many of you just got chill bumps? I always get chill bumps when I preach. It means the Holy Spirit is showing up and he's just bringing to mind that this world is so lost and it's so hopeless and so broken. And here we are, guys, dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. The riddle that the entire world wants solved, we've got dwelling in us. And the church gathered and the church scattered. We could make a difference if we just simply showed them and told them what we possess is what they need. How many of you are living testaments because you were one way? Then you met Jesus and everything changed for you. And Jesus could do that for every other person in the world. But the word needs to be preached. So here, they have a daily distribution, I notice. Some people were getting overlooked. Now, I think there's a natural explanation of why were the Greek-speaking Jews and the widows there who didn't have husbands to provide for them uh, how are they getting looked over charitably? And I think a natural language barrier. There's a language barrier problem, and so it's very easy for logistical problems to arise. Now, the church, they don't really care about your language or your creed or your skin color. None of that matters a hell of beans to the church. We just love people regardless of what you think, who you are, what you look like, your background. We don't give a rip. We just love people, all the people, every single one of them. And so they recognize, all right, here, we've run into a language barrier and a logistical problem. So let's, as the church gathered, figure out how to be systematic so that nobody slips through the cracks and isn't cared for and loved for. And that's what the church organized can do. And so that's exactly what they end up uh, doing. Now, it, it's also neat that the generosity of the church is fully displayed here of like they want to they they're so intentionally minded about being generous this is a big deal that they bring everyone together for a special meeting on let let's make sure we are generous to such an extent that nobody slips through the cracks 
I want to be generous to everyone. And this is held true for the uh, problem of widows or those who are uh, orphan kids or people who are super broken down on their luck. The church has always been the safety net. We've, uh, the, the people of God, the, the, God's children, the followers of Jesus have always been this way. So in the first century, Romans who wouldn't want their babies, they would be throwing them off the bridges to drown them in the rivers. And Christian women would be down below in boats fishing them out of the water to raise them as their own. That's Christian charity. It's always been the case where Christians are the most loving, generous, kind-hearted people available. Now it's shifted a little bit and I need you to recognize what has happened. The government, which has always been at odds with anything that might be above their dominion, which would be God's dominion, the governments of the world have always been at war with the God uh, that we follow. It's the government that's murdered Jesus in the first place, right? And so the government, desiring to take monopoly on charity, now is created, instead of taking care of the welfare of the individual, they multiply programs by stealing your tax dollars to create a welfare state, which means dependency on you to not really fix the problem, but to be able to control all wealth through themselves. And so it starts benevolent looking and kind, but then it ends up with terrible, terrible results. And I'm just saying, hey guys, it's not the welfare systems of our country that are responsible. It's not the government's job to take care of the needy and the hurt in our communities. It's ours. It's our job. We have a need. It, you, you know of a need. That's your problem. And that's my problem. And that's our problem. And we organize so we'd be able to step in, right? To be able to care for it. So I love how intentional they were being and how generous they were being. You see it? That's the idea. We are generous in heart. We are one in spirit and together organized as the church. We're going to do great, great things together by chasing the Holy Spirit wherever he rolls through this city. Pretty cool? It is cool, Will. Thanks for noticing. Will's on the level, guys. Rock on, bro. You. In verse 2, uh, they summon the full number of disciples. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, how many of you think serving tables is important? Yay! Especially if like some people, it's, it's 1030 and you're already hungry for lunch. How many of you are like me? I've like, I'm already hungry. Of like, I'm going to speed this thing up. Uh, if I go long, I might go steal a, some crackers here. Like, food is good. We like service. We like hospitality. And we love all those things uh, which care for people. We just talked about feeding widows as well. But the disciples, uh, the, the leaders of the church here pointed out, hey, regardless of how important it is to serve tables and be generous and uh, to do all of the good things that comes into your mind when you think the ministry, they protect something specifically. It's not right that they should give up preaching of uh, the word. And so this is a theme, and it's going to come up a couple more times in the text today. The preaching of the word is preeminent. It is most important. Every single one of you who is truly among the brethren, your life was changed and your eternity altered because you heard certain gospel facts. You heard the living word of God. So you were going one way. The gospel 
changed you from the inside out and put you on a different heavenly trajectory forever. It is the gospel that changes somebody forever. In uh, Romans chapter 10, we hear uh, chapter 10, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. You have to be able to hear the gospel, to receive the gospel, and be changed by the gospel. Every single disciple they had there was there in that full mustered number because they heard the word of God. So that's how the church grows. And that's how we have wisdom to be able to go forward. Yet whatever problem you're dealing with in your life, a lot of us who don't know the word quite as well as we should, that's putting it so nicely. <laughs> For me, I'm just such a like, like I'm a battle axe, you know? That's just as sweet as I get. That's a sweetie pie left-handed pitch from yours truly who don't know the word quite as well as we should. My spirit's like, hey, read the word, Roger. Just do it. Read the word. But I, I churched it up, right? Yes, I did. Indeed. <laughs> churched it up. I guess celebrating and then revealing what my heart actually was saying, I kind of, whatever net positive I would have made, I just negated and I'm back to zero. Ugh. All right, get me out of this, uh, this rabbit trail. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All of us uh, were affected into salvation and we're continuing to grow into salvation because of the word. And the word isn't just the catalyst that brings us into salvation. It's the thing that makes us more and more like Jesus. You want to know what God wants for your life? I guarantee you just about whatever problem that you're dealing with is answered somehow, some way in the word of God by precept. Maybe you have some unique situation and you're like, I don't know what God's will for me is in life uh, in this situation. I guarantee you, if we knew the Bible a little bit better, and this is where biblical counselors and people who are really immersed in the word would be able to speak a scripture in, and it's kind of the foundational principle of your problem. There's all these little branches that come off of like, yeah, but here's my situation. But the root is still the same, and the root is answered in the word. The better you know the word, the less you answer, what is God's will? The better you know the word, the more you know God's heart for you. It's a big book, you know. It makes sense that uh, a God who took the time to create humanity, who, took, uh, who, who, who created us down to the smallest cell uh, in Adam, cares about the affairs of man who endued us with a conscience because he actually cares that we do the right thing and we don't do horribly evil stuff. You care about right and wrong, don't you? God, the author of morality and right and wrong, cares even more. And it makes perfect sense that such a God wanting to communicate effectively to all people for all time everywhere would write it down for us. So it is no wonder I would suspect a God of order to do something like this. And we, therefore, from the God who is there and who has spoken, we are people of the book. We are people of the book. The disciples wanted the work of the ministry done, but they recognized, man, we should be preaching the word. We should be preaching the word. I wonder how many of you can think of someone right now that desperately needs the word of God. And, and, and so that we understand word of God isn't like I preach the word of God. So like, all right, Genesis 1 through Revelation. It doesn't mean I read the whole thing. It, it, I think... When it talks about the word, it's telling of the gospel, the meta narrative. You could do it in 15 seconds or 15 years. Both of it is the gospel preaching through it. But some people who need the word of God need the gospel to understand that man is fallen, that God, who by no means will clear the guilty, 
who doesn't think sin is cute will absolutely hold us to account for everything we have done. There will be a judgment. And us, as we just frivolously go through our days, distracted by the tyranny of the urgent and all the little problems that we think are big, really there is one great looming problem, and that is we are sinful, and God is good, and we will face Him. But God made a way when there was no way. God, stepping out of heaven, allowed Himself to become the sacrifice for your sin so that we would be able to get right in the eyes of God. Not because we do something right, but because Jesus did it all. And I say, I'm with Jesus. And when I see him in glory, he'll say, and this one's with me. And by that merit, that one alone changes my salvation forever. And that's, that's the gospel. You were bad. You can't get good. God is good. And he lived the life you should have lived, died the death you should have died so that you could be with Jesus forever through forgiveness by the blood of Christ. There's your gospel. How many of you know someone who needs that gospel? You can think of someone, can't you? So one thing we can do is we look for our opportunities. One thing I noticed as well is when you're a good witness and people can tell there's something different about you. Your life's not falling apart. You seem genuinely interested in people. You're loving and you're kind. Uh, and so they notice something different. What I have found over and over over the last couple decades of following Jesus is typically when dudes' lives start falling apart, I'm the first one they call. This is true. happened over and over and over. Maybe we haven't talked for years, but when everything starts falling apart, I get the phone call. And then I'm able to speak gospel facts into their tragic circumstances. And that's one opportunity. Sometimes we're playing too much of a gentleman thing of like, well, if they ask, maybe I'll say, I'm like, no, no, no. The, the, the gospel, it's a double-edged sword, right? Which is an offensive way. Take the word to them, whether they want it or not. Let's not give anyone a nice, easy, unchallenged road straight into eternal hell. Let's make it a difficult journey. Let's harass them with gospel. Until... <laughs> Doesn't it make sense? Yeah, absolutely it does. But you can explain them. I have a dear friend. I didn't plan on sharing this. I had a dear friend, uh, certainly not a believer. And uh, I witnessed to him many different times. Loved him. Um, hmm. uh, yeah, loved him dearly. Uh, he is uh, not with us anymore. But it became a bit of a running joke. I made it that way, too. Of like, bro, when we hang out, you know, you know I got to take my shot. It's because I love you. And I really believe in what I'm doing. I don't want to harass, but let me do my thing because I love you and I love that. So you understand, I'm not trying to pressure you like a punk. It's I really believe what I'm, I'm saying and I really actually care about it. So understand that's where I'm coming from. And once I'd opened up that understanding, he was kind of cool and chill with that. And so on his deathbed or nearly to it, I came up for one last shot. And we both understood of like, man, you know I love you. You know I got to take the swing. How many of you um, have people that, that you need to take the word to? You're not just playing defense. You're taking it to them, right? Here's one easy thing. You've got an expositional preacher in an age of wokeness that doesn't mind preaching an offensive gospel. I'll just give you the mail. This is what the Bible says. This is what God says. And I am not afraid to tell people it. Bring them to me. I'll tell them the gospel. Just invite them to church. You're like, boom. I didn't even have to say anything. I just, I just said, hey, you want free food? And then you brought them here instead of like, yeah, free food's after. Listen to this guy. And I'll kick them between the teeth with some hard gospel truth. How about that? 
the kick in the teeth is a metaphor. Uh, I've been a warrior most of my life, and so a lot of times my metaphors are pretty graphic. Uh, very good. Uh, now, preaching is paramount, absolutely critical for salvation and after that as well. In verses 3 and 4, though, we see that they want to pick out seven men of, listen, good reputation. They're also full of the Holy Spirit. That means they're not walking just in their own strength and figuring out their way through life in their own direction. They're following God, His Holy Spirit, chasing after Holy Spirit. And they're also wise. Good reputation. They have good moral character and everyone knows about it. They're really following Jesus. Uh, they're, um, and they're wise. Uh, so uh, the early church talks about these people as servants. Uh, the, uh, oh, I think I have in 1 Timothy 3 as well. Let's get back in here. 1 Timothy 3, we'll read some stuff. Because as it says, good reputation, I want to be able to point that out a moment and then uh, we'll pause on it just a moment. Deacons, deacon, it's diakonos is the Greek word for servant. Here it is used in a noun in Timothy 3. In Acts, it's done as a verb, so it's not like office of deacon. By the way, we're in the South and there's all kinds of baggage that's associated with deacon. Wayne's laughing because he knows exactly what I say. I was like, whoa, deacon, because everyone means something different by it. I, uh, I've, I've, I knew of a powerful board of deacons that didn't like their pastor. They've been in that church forever, so they fired the pastor. The deacons did. And then they formed a deacon pastoral search committee. And they looked for a pastor for a year. Finally, they found somebody. They hired him. It went well for a year or two until they decided they didn't like him. They fired him again. And then so on and so forth. And it became these powerful deacons, which were just a bunch of families that wanted to check the block with church, but really control it. And they wanted some dummy to stand up there, placate them, play church enough to make them feel like they were doing it, but not enough to challenge them or hold them accountable. By the way, this is a wildly reckless use of deacon. Deacons have no ruling power. No deacons are allowed to fire pastors. Pastors can do that. Pastors... Uh, are overseeing the church. Anyway, I'm getting off on a little tirade. I'll just say, we here at Grace City, we don't even use the word deacon, especially in the South, because it's filled with so much problems. People have all kinds of different stuff. So we just say servants, servants. Now, when it's an outward-facing servant like these guys, you got to be a good representative of the church. It's one thing when you're kind of cleaning tables after service and you're serving the Lord. Maybe you're not going to meet the Timothy 3. You're a work in progress. You're kind of getting there. But as soon as you set yourself up in front of the church and people say, ah, they're a servant leader in the church. And imagine they're just hypocritical to the max. And they talk a nice game on Sunday, but their life Monday through Saturday sucks. You don't respect them. You don't think they follow the Lord. They just put on this mask and play church on Sunday. Do you know anyone like this? This is not good. And so for a servant leader, someone who serves, but they're outward facing, the church sees them in leadership, that kind of hypocrisy can destroy the church from the inside out. So hypocrisy is something that is extremely serious, and we want to make sure our servant leaders are cut above uh, the rest. So in Timothy 3, it says, Deacons like my, likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, they're not slandering, they're not liars, anything like that. They're not addicted to too much wine. That means they're not alcoholics and they're not getting hammered drunk. 
Um, they're not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers or gossips. Y'all uh, here in the South, we have the uh, gossip prayer chain. You know, this is where a huddle of ladies get together and they're like, well, so-and-so. And then they tell you like 30 minutes worth of facts on this person. And then they followed up with, so pray for that. But really, it's just this toxic gossip nest under the auspices of prayer. You're just venting all this garbage on everyone else, which makes you feel like a million bucks. But you suck. You're gossiping. You busybody, quiet. And so uh, none of that stuff either. Uh, sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Their household should look like it's flourishing. You see, the, the, their, their marriage is one that you're like, they've, they've got a good marriage. See, their kids, they're managing those kids the best that they uh, can, and their family overall seems to be flourishing. Right now, some of you are like, say, thinking about your kid and saying, please, Jesus, don't let him cry out. Please. It's not that. That's not what it means. Little kids are going to be a little, no a little noisy sometimes. That's what kids do. Let the little children make a joyful sound of the Lord, which might even be a little distracting for me, but we love kids, so rock on. Um, hypocrisy is not uh, befitting of leaders. It's held to a different standard. I'm thinking uh, in the 1900s in India, Calcutta, a man by the name of Gandhi, young in his years, was interested in Christianity. So much so that this young man just starting a career that would end him as a uh, notorious spiritual leader for all the world to know, I didn't, words are hard, ended up visiting a church, a Christian church. However, at the time, especially with the backdrop of the caste system in India and more full swing, he was stopped at the door by certain Christians who wouldn't let him in on account that he was not of the higher, higher caste. He was not welcomed in. And it was at that point where Gandhi decided that he may like Christ, but he didn't like Christians. In fact, he would say as a quote that's pretty well known, if it weren't for Christians, I would be a Christian. Imagine instead someone greeted him at the door and gave him donuts because donuts are lit. We have donuts back there. See, this is for the next Gandhi. If you're here, we brought you donuts. Don't go do your other false religion thing. You're welcome here. We're not doing caste stuff. Welcome. Don't get the glazed one in the back. I had called that. I already germed it. <laughs> Stupid. Anyway, hypocrisy is, uh, it will destroy the church from the inside out. Um, instead, we need Christians who are full of the Spirit. We're in a soft launch for Grace City Rome. That's what we're in. We're calling it a soft launch. That means next year, we're actually going to try to grow numbers. Right now, I don't care about getting masses here. If I cared about getting masses here, I'd use other tools at our disposal to really try to do that. I don't want that. What I want is a purified church where you and I are on fire for the Lord and we have the same language, we have the same culture, and we have servant leaders 
who are standing up. We need to be organized because I have something so much more ambitious than drawing a crowd. No thanks. I don't want to draw a crowd. I want to be part of a true movement of God. And I think you're here because you do too. Wouldn't that be great? To be caught up in something so much bigger than ourselves where the results last forever. That's what I want for me and I won't settle for anything less. And so what that means is all of us all of us need to be part of this church or the church in general in a way that there's no bleachers. This is a language that Grace City uses to communicate it. We want a church with no bleachers because all of us are on the field. We're all working. We don't want to build sermon connoisseurs as if you show up each week to say, hmm, I wonder how John's going to do. I didn't really agree with such and such as if you're grading me on a report card and then deciding if I um, offend you too much, you may or may not show up the next week. We're not sermon connoisseurs. It's not me that you gather around. I'm just team captain calling plays and huddles so that when we say break, we all uh, leave this building and we're missionaries everywhere we go every moment until we gather again. Pretty cool? We want to be real Christians on fire. We've ha- I've had quite enough with the hypocritical fake Christians, haven't you? You can think about it. You can see them in your head. Uh, but... I want you to also picture some of the realest Christians you've ever met. They're the ones you know they're Christians before they ever even tell you. This is what uh, my wife always puts it this way. She says, the Holy Spirit in me sees the Holy Spirit in them. I know they're Christians. The Jesus in me saw the Jesus in them. There's something different about their very countenance is something I've noticed. As if light is bursting forth behind their spirit and pouring out through their smile and eyes. And that sounds a really weird and goofy thing to say, but I really feel that sometimes it is just very, very apparent. Even physically, when I'm just in there present from a discernment kind of way, this is someone who's been with Jesus. It pours through their lives. It strengthens their marriage. They are flourishing in all things because the Lord's hand is on them. There's something different about them. These are the people that are actually able to do this impossible thing of loving their enemies. Think about these real Christians, the best people on earth you've ever known. They're Christians and they're able to love their enemies. It's hard enough to love our friends. It's hard to love our family. If you don't believe me, we're almost at Christmas. You know? Everyone's fighting about everything. And how many of you know you need to forgive your family and they need to forgive you as well? You got all this past and baggage and it's easy to hurt each other because you love each other so much. And so forgiveness, forgiveness, love, grace, all that stuff because real relationships are messy. That's what they are. It's hard to love your friends and family. How much more so to love your enemies? But I've seen real Christians love their enemies. How about this? Real Christians. And man, I I see a Rolodex of faces going through my head of like, oh, that person is amazing. She is incredible. You'd think she'd walk on water. I'm like, man, not really. Just, Just one person does that. But I'm just saying, wow, there's some folks that are going through my head right now that are the most incredible folks. How about this? They have a peace that passes all understanding. Look at the news. Is there peace on earth? 
not even close. And guys, buckle up. It looks like worse things are still to come. Pray for the Middle East, guys. Pray for the Middle East as well. Some horrors have happened there. I haven't had a really good opportunity to speak about that uh, yet, but I wanted to at least say this. Let's pray for our world. Let's pray for the broken. Let's pray for those displaced, abused, hurt, kidnapped, um, violated through horrible, evil, sick, twisted, demonic wars. Pray for what's happening in the Middle East and pray for us in our country as well. Everywhere I look, I see the world either in bondage or war or slavery to some kind of pernicious sin. And yet, while the whole world is falling apart, these real Christians are able to keep a peace that is inexplicable to everyone else. How can you still have joy at home when you're with your family when you just watch the news? You know, like that is the peace of the Holy Spirit on me. It's because my peace and my faith and my hope isn't anchored in the kings of this world. As if I'm a politician going to set it all right. No, my faith is in Jesus. My hope is in Jesus. All of my peace, all of me is put in Jesus. It's hidden with Christ. And as I see Christ every single day, I tap into a peace that transcends all understanding. I find the joy of the Lord when there's no joy anywhere on this rock of an earth to be found. There's still joy in the Lord. I find courage in the true Christians. I find humility in the midst of people who celebrate pride with our flags. And we say, no, it's not pride. It's not all about me and what I want and my desires and my money and my looks and my ability. None of that. It's about Jesus. That's it. I must become less, he must become more in my own life and in this world until every knee and tongue, knee shall bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. I'm going to close with this. In verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. Pay attention to how that's said. This is so cool. Oh, I've got such a good close for you guys. So good. All right. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And many of the priests became obedient to faith. This is pretty cool in that we've seen people come to faith, but now priests are actually converting over. That's a big deal of like, this, this is a serious movement here. But let's center in on the word of God continued to increase and the numbers of disciples multiply greatly. We want, with all of our different gifts... In this room, we want to be able to tap into what are those gifts? How are you built so that you can help us as the church gathered and also be able to help all those that you know as the church scattered? You have special gifts. Uh, Right now, after church, last week, this week, and two more, we're doing what's called our growth track. That's to really plug you into the DNA of who we are, what we believe, and also to be able to get to know yourself. Some of us took this thing called a CVI index, and that allows you to understand how you love to serve and how you're capable of serving. It really dials in in a really cool way of the, B, uh, the building blocks, the DNA of how you're put together and how you're best able to get energy and excitement from serving, right? And so I've been taking that and then a spiritual gifts test. And so it's all about this this thing after church that we're doing today, this growth track to be able to get plugged in to us and learn about us as well. But it's also learning about you. So we 
uh, a one body with many different parts can all get up on plane and sprint together. That's the goal. The point of this sermon is to see all the different ways that we would be able to serve. Some of it's church gathered stuff. Some of you get here early and you're setting up tables and chairs and projectors and playing with the screens and words and music. Uh, and uh, we got food because we're feeding y'all lunch if you stay for growth track and donuts and all that, the camera stuff and this guy. People are serving and doing that stuff, right? And so that's the church gathered. But this is what I'm really excited about. I'm most excited in everything we're doing. I'm most excited about our city groups, which are coming up. And I need every hand on deck doing that. I think big, group, big things happen in small groups. And that's one of the best evangelical tools we have at our disposal. Some people won't come to church, but they will come to your house. Where once a week or one, uh, uh, every other week, you invite a small group of friends who you do life with. And these are people you go to church with. And maybe you invite some neighbors that wouldn't come to church, but they would come over for barbecue. Because yay for dead pig. And so, yummy. And so you're able to come. My wife just gave me the nope. Nope. I'm not editing it out. I'm going to let Pastor Chris keep it. Nope. Foul ball. Just nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. I'm I'm agreeing here because it affirmed what I already wanted to do. So, uh, fantastic. Yeah, but they'll come in for that. City groups is, uh, we've been a part of city groups in the past uh, where our marriage really gain material benefits from that. It allowed us to have some romance and we're able to kind of compare notes with other couples. And I cannot tell you the immense blessings my marriage has had, me also personally as a man, my wife uh, as a woman, we have uh, reaped amazing benefits from being in small groups with people. We don't have our city groups yet, but they're coming. And I want city group leaders. And I also want people that just follow city group leaders and be part of the city group. And is that, that's, that's the church scattered. We're able to invite people into community, live life with each other. And that's where the church, which can feel big on a Sunday morning, that's where it feels really small. It means if you fall off the bandwagon and start doing Gandhi stuff, you've got a small group that knows you. You can't just slip away from the, uh, the wayside. You are known by people who love you and who pray for you and who care for you. And when you or your family is down and out, they immediately lock hands around you and say, but we're here with you. And you're not meant to go at it alone because we are the church, are your family in the realest way, right? And so I am thrilled about city groups. Now, all of this is grown by the word of God. The word of God in prayer in verse seven uh, or verse um, verse four, it talks about they'll devote themselves to preaching and prayer, which changes everything, but uh, uh, to the word of God. So I wanted to end with this. This is the close. And the word of God continued to increase and the numbers of disciples grew. I'm going to take the, uh, the word, which is the gospel, and personify it in the book of John. This is the gospel of John. Now check it out. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life. Listen, this is beautiful. This is steal your heart. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Who is the light of men? Who is this talking about? This is Jesus. This is the point. Our whole point here, the preaching of the word, is the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. And here, in the very first verse of the Gospel of John, the very first thing he had to say was, in the beginning was the Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, going back to verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skipping to verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. The world did not know Jesus. He came to his own, the Jews, to his own people. And they did not receive him. They rejected him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this is what I love. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. As it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, the very engine of our entire movement, the redeemer of our lives. And so it is because he came to rescue us and to love us and to serve us, that in an overflow of eternal gratitude, love and affection for Jesus, we want to be mobilized and served as well. Jesus was the first servant leader of our faith. And he came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. And so the big idea, Christian, is we are little Christs. And so we as well come not to be served, but to serve others and make our lives be a pouring out for many. You copy? Yeah, all right. Let me pray for us and we will let you guys go. Thank you so much for coming today. I love you. King Jesus, it is all about you, the Word, the Creator, our Savior. And I pray that if anyone in this room or listening in online does not know you, the light of men. I pray that you would overcome their darkness and that you would save their souls. And so anyone praying along saying, I do not have that. I have lived my own life to my own devices utterly. I pray that you would listen to the prayer of their heart and you would save their soul and you, have done, you would do for them what you have done for me and so many in this room. So, King Jesus, show them the Savior that you are. And in your name, amen.